0: Hey folks, thanks for joining me for this episode of the Embellished Podcast. A podcast focused on product stories, product storytellers, interesting brand ambassadors, and any other tangent that I happen to come up with. Whether you're a bourbon fan, a geek, or a casual observer, or anyone else just floating through, you're going to probably waste a few minutes listening to what I have to say, and I hope you find it interesting. If you got here by chance, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. I can be found on any podcasting platform that exists, and if you can't find me on a platform, send me an email at embellishpod at gmail.com, and I'll get that taken care of. I also generally live stream the recording of these episodes on YouTube on Wednesday nights around 9.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. You can find all of my links on Instagram at EmbellishPod or on Twitter at the same handle. I have a website. It is www.embellishpod.com, and that is a place to pick up these links, episode details, and even some one-off tasting notes and anything else. Today is January the 19th, 2022, and we're going to talk about change management. Before we get into that, we always do a little bit of pre show chat and I apologize for the audio clip at the beginning of this. That's actually supposed to be an outro clip and there's an intro clip, and I've been toying around with changing a few things and doing something slightly different. Um, also, apologize for the video. It looks like, uh, at least uh, according to the YouTube stream, it looks like uh, maybe real washed out. Uh, may have just lost the stream altogether. Can't tell. Super glitchy on my computer. Um, been also toying with doing a weekly or biweekly news segment, uh, just kind of a one-off, uh, quick video, uh, amalgamating a bunch of different news that I happen to come across, across things that I find interesting. It kind of came out of this this story that was published about. The uh, like a shortage of wood for making barrels um, in uh, North America. And if you're a bourbon fan, that's a huge problem because one of the stipulations for bourbon specifically is that it has to be in new charred oak barrels as opposed to being reused for maybe American single malts or scotch or a host of other whiskeys that are out there. Um, and so I started poking around on this news story because whenever I read that, that's a shocking headline for me. And what it actually, uh, indicates is a lot of other things, um, like, uh, the, the problem being that most of the barrels or most of the trees that exist right now are actually too old, um, for what we would consider healthy, um, forests. And so there could be a shortage in the future just simply because, um, my YouTube's acting super glitchy. Let me go look at this. Sorry. It says it's fun. Not receiving enough. Well, no. we'll keep going forward and see what happens. And if the video is bad, then I'll just upload the recording that I'm actually making of this and... We'll make that work. Uh, Whatever happens, happens, I guess. Um, But anyways, uh, it was more about um, woods health. It was more about uh, problems with how old the trees are that are um, out there being farmed currently. And it wasn't so much as almost a call to chicken little. And so I thought, you know, hey, this is something that a bunch of us read, and I've seen people talking about it on other streams. And maybe this would be interesting to sort of break down because um, the initial reaction was slightly different than what the reality of what's going on is. Um, Try a couple things here. Stream health is looking very terrible. Starting to catch up? Excellent condition. Couldn't... I don't know. Um, One of the other things that I came across this week, there is... um, Move, All right, there, um, I talked about this a little bit on a different social media platform, um, on, on, on TikTok, I, I put a video up. I'm not really sure what the purpose of TikTok is, but hey, I made a video and I put it up. Um, I've been noticing a significantly larger quantity, um, larger quantity of people that are joining uh what I would what I called a bourbon bully on that video but um there's going to be an inherent amount of snobbery that's going to exist in in whiskey that's just sort of what happens but um it can get a little bit cumbersome and a little bit um intrusive into people, and so what ends up happening is you get this these, these people that build their entire persona or character off of being the only person that knows how to taste, or knows how to be able to give you tasting notes, or lead you into what is appropriate, and while there are people that make an entire profession about it, most of the people that at least I interact with uh, on social media, on YouTube, on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, wherever, they're all... Uh, interested in entertaining and joining people together and that that type of behavior doesn't really fit along with that we're not necessarily industry professionals that are out there trying to purport ourselves to create beverage lists for restaurants or create new cocktails or whatever we're just sort of having fun and we've got to be okay with that you know and 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 this kind of snobbery sort of pushes people off um and you know the there's a difference between being helpful and being firm and just trying to be uh you know a, a shocking personality that's going to say oh you're all wrong and i'm right you know you're all crap and i'm the best and that's you know, super frustrating and and one of the things that i guess that, that breaks down for me is that flavor is relative you know you get these people that are getting off on giving tasting notes and that they know what's there and you don't you can't taste something you've never tasted before. And so if someone gives you a tasting note, um, and if you guys go back and watch the chill filtered episode that I did with uh, Robbie and Cole, um, he gave me a flavor that I've never heard of before. And then he related it to something that I did understand, uh, which is um, elderberry flower but the original flavor that he gave i don't know what it is i never had heard it before my lifetime and i could not ever connect with that flavor if someone tells me hey this tastes like banana banana could be a banana itself an actual banana it could be banana ice cream it could be banana runts it could be banana flavored cough syrup it could be any flavor of banana and that's what's going to come to mind so it's a problem with tasting notes is that it's relative you can't taste what you've ever tasted before and whatever you taste is actually what you taste you know, it's all about triggering a, a memory within your um, within your brain of, of, of some flavor profile somewhere. And so you're likely not wrong uh, with whatever you taste because it is what you taste. And so, um, you know, the best thing you can do is find somebody who gives tasting notes um, on on things that, that you sort of align to. And now you can find somebody that has a similar palate or a similar profile. And maybe that person can give you suggestions on what to drink or what not to drink. But at the end of the day... Um, you know the, these folks that sort of want to jump in there and tell you what to think and tell you what is right and what is wrong they're a little bit wrong headed in that um, you know and who am i to to say anything different but it is what it is um the the the, the topic of today's episode and it won't be uh, probably won't be super long tonight um i think i've said that the last couple of episodes but the the goal of tonight's conversation is going to be around um, change management. And that's one of the things that outside of whiskey, everyone sort of understands. And in, in my profession, um, a lot of what I do is change management. And um, for... For something like whiskey, change can be difficult. Um, And last week I had a a conversation with somebody on, I think it was Instagram, I can't remember, where they were referring to that they prefer a specific brand or distillery that can consistently produce the exact same flavor profile over and over again. Um, And that's what a lot of distilleries bank on. Week in and week out, they create these huge um, chains of efficiencies to be able to generate the exact same thing over and over again. Um, Whenever I was younger, my dad was into brewing his own beer, and one of the most amazing feats for anybody who brews beer is understanding how people like Anheuser-Busch or um, Coors can continually create the exact same flavor profile over and over again, and what is effectively, during the fermentation process at least, A living organism that that could be impacted by so many environmental concerns they can create something that today is going to taste the exact same as something that is five years from now Um, and even within the whiskey industry you'll find um, guys that'll save a bottle of maker's mark and they'll taste it against a new one to see if there's any flavor drift or any profile drift from what it was five years ago to what it is today because they do slightly change um but Those are, you know, those are small incremental changes that occur over time. And the reality is within whiskey until probably 20 years ago, um, the fact that it wasn't changing was the bread and butter of whiskey marketing. It was the bread and butter of what bourbon was doing in North America. But we also kind of see where that kind of uh, mindset is going to get you. It's going to get you into a a limited marketplace that people aren't interested in. They, They want to see something that's slightly different. And that's what you see. Or at least that's what I experience with things like um barrel spirits or stag junior um or elijah Craig barrel proof larceny barrel proof um you know barrel spirits entire um, profile is based off of building different batches and um no two bottles necessarily being the exact same um you know stag junior looks like it's glitching out again. Fantastic. Stag Jr., Elijah Craig Barrel Proof, Larceny Barrel Proof, all of those are batched. Those are all going to be different, and that's part of the allure of them is that you want to pick up each different version. Um, it's sort of funny, you know, uh, when you get into... to. Let me check this stream here. Well, maybe it's going to pop back up again. When you get into, uh, you know, social media whiskey and you start making friends, you end up with uh, things called handshakes where you're getting... Um, samples that people are going to share with you. And I actually have a sample of Elijah Craig Barrel Proof B521. So that's the second release from this year, or from 2021, rather. I guess we're already in 2022. Um, one of the things that people want to do is they want to collect it. all three of them. They want to collect the A, the B, and the C. You know, the um, and, and they want to compare them against each other. And that's it's one of those things that, that's... Sort of the thing now. Um, and I tend to look at any brand or distillery like my favorite restaurant. Um, I don't have a favorite restaurant because it's one singular dish that they do well and that they do the exact same thing over and over again. Um, I look for a place that can give me about 15 different things that, that, that are going to be all amazing. Um, seasonal ingredients, new and unique offerings, you know, whatever um they can do to to differentiate themselves in a, from a marketing standpoint that's what i'm interested in and um that's that's what that's what a lot of lot of consumers are interested in as well so it's a little bit uh, troubling for the whiskey marketplace, and you see fallout whenever they try to do things different, or at least some of the major retailers try to do things different. It's almost like if you're a small player within the whiskey marketplace, you're cheered for doing something different, but if you're a major player and you do something different, um, it's an immediate mark against you. It's it's you're going against your standards or your principles or whatever it is that you're built on. Um, and, you know, change is the name of the game. That's what's going to happen. So one of the first ones that I want to talk about is probably one of um, the most slammed on. Probably not the most. The most slammed on bottle that I know of is probably Willet Pot Still. But aside from that, there's you know Basil Hayden Toast or Basil Hayden specifically is going to be considered you know a whiskey that non-whiskey drinkers drink. It's an entry level drink. It's it's whatever. But in the last few years, they have. gone out and tried to get a hold of let's see if i close a few other things if maybe that'll help Um, they've, they've gone out and tried to redo some of the things that they're working on you know jim beam has looked at um what The Basil Hayden brand is. They've redesigned their bottles. They've introduced alternate offerings underneath the label their 10 year, their Caribbean, their dark rye, their, you know, a host of other things. But then very, very recently, they introduced toast. And it was one of those things that got panned pretty heavily within the social media marketplace where everybody was like, oh, you know, great, another, you know, toasted whiskey, another rice whiskey or whatever. Um, but Jim Beam's been innovating for a long time. I mean, if you the, the Basil Hayden um, is is just picking up on some of the things that they've been doing for a while. I mean, if you go back to the um, Signature Craft series, a dozen or more years ago, um, they were doing Signature Craft Brown Rice, which I've talked about in another episode before. And you see brown rice getting introduced into the Booker's, I believe, is is the one that got a brown rice offering in there. Maybe it was a little book. I can't remember which one. But anyways, they got into it. And so um, Basil Hayden, and my, my assumption is Jim Beam's like, hey, we've got this big batch of rice-based uh, bourbon. What are we going to do with it? And so they start kind of portioning out to the different... Um, brands that they have, the different things that they can p- possibly do with it, that they put it under the Jim Beam label. They put it under the Little Book or Bookers. I think it, maybe it's Little Book. And then they put it under the, the, the Basil Hayden um, brand and, and try to put it out there. But the thing is they were doing these sort of innovative concepts and ideas years and years before um, maybe it was it was sort of cool to do because if you go back 12 years... um. Yeah, so you're exactly right. Okay, so I've got a comment here. and It should pop up on the screen um, where we've got, um, don't like toast, but, but putting out old tub was a hit. And that's exactly it, is that for you, you don't particularly care for the toast, but you did like tub. And there may be a, an exact inverted relationship with someone else where they love the toast, but don't love the old tub. And that's the, the, the thing, is that... Um, we need to be, as a consumer, willing to give them a shot whenever they want to try something like this out, and and it may not be for us. And luckily, the Jim B, the, the the basil Hayden toast wasn't an incredibly expensive offering. Um, it was something that was relatively easily attainable after the initial hype hit, and it's okay. It's something that I can share with people. And and specifically, it's something that I can keep around whenever I have visitors come to my house that are not bourbon drinkers. Um, It's easy to drink. It's something that's slightly different. It does give a slightly different flavor profile that they can try to chase down. And maybe it's a a way to get them into a deeper concept of whiskey because it's not just Basil Hayden, it's Basil Hayden with a twist or whatever. But we, if, if we don't to some degree, reward, and I'm not talking about rewarding, you know, just like marketing hype, but legitimate innovation. If we don't reward that, um, they won't continue it. That, that's that's sort of how it works within the the marketplace itself. And then uh, on the converse, you know, we've got this this change that's happening with Stag Junior versus Stag, right? And so uh, this year in 2022, Stag Junior should be losing the um junior moniker and the idea is that when it hits its 18th batch which should be very very soon it's matured enough to not be considered a junior and the the idea is that if they can change its name they can help its perception Um, and that may be the case with a non-whiskey aficionado uh, where they see it and they're like well why is it called stag junior you know EH uh, e. Taylor is called junior but that's an actual human being's name and you can you can tell that you know just the way it's put together it's it's a human being's name and it's named after that uh, whereas with um, Stag Junior, it's like okay, well, there's Stag Junior, but there's also George T. stagg So is it really that much inferior? And for a lot of people, it absolutely will be inferior. But it's slightly easier to obtain, and it is a fantastic bottle in its own right. And you know, a, a lot of the people that are you know proponents of a change like this is, are saying, well, you know, look at what Rebel Yell did. Rebel Yell used to be Rebel Yell, and they changed their name to Rebel. So they wouldn't be as nearly as offensive. But I don't think those two things can be correlated. I think those two things are, are inherently different. The idea is that um, it's almost like the, the the folks at Buffalo Trace are saying, we know you as an American consumer have such a short attention span that in six months to a year, you won't remember that it was called Stag Junior. It's just called Stag. By taking those two simple letters off of it, they can increase the prestige. And my assumption is, and, and this may follow to be true, may not follow to be true, is that once that Junior has been removed from the label and the prestige factor has increased on it, likely so will the price point. And I'm not saying that that's not deserved because the msrp on on stag junior is already incredibly low for what it is in in my mind in my mind you know in my my impression but there's there's likely more at play here you know and 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 it's also interesting that it's we're starting to see another resurgence in um single barrel picks coming from them as well you know stag junior is is I've at least seen three or four different channels that have talked about um, channels or, or social media types where retailers are talking about being able to pick up Stag Junior, which will effectively be Stag, I guess, maybe. I wonder if the, the barrel picks will maintain the Junior and they can use up all the old bottling labels and only the new product for Batch 18 and beyond will... I don't, I don't know. That's their problem to work out, not mine. Um, but they're they're trying to craft this story, and I'm all about stories, but this one is a little bit weak in its structure. is the fact that... Um, Stag Junior has grown from a boy into a man because it said it's 18th batch. Um, That doesn't, you know, it doesn't hold weight because at the end of the day, it's still eight or nine year old whiskey in a barrel. It's not 18 year old whiskey, Um, and and that's okay. You know, it's uh, I think they're putting too much weight on the junior now. Is it? Like I said, there's something else at play here, in my impression, and if you look far enough down uh, the line something else will get tied to it some other s- s- some other reactionary situation is happening here I-, I don't know what it is and you know there's no conspiracy to it you know there's a marketing plan in place obviously and they felt like this was a smart decision and there are people making significant amounts of money um to be able to make decisions like this so there's there's something to it Uh but also, at the same time they're they're making marketing decisions like, "Hey, we're just not gonna release George T. Stagg at all in twenty twenty one because the barrels did not meet the standards um and absolutely sometimes the marketing is out of hand I mean, I'm the first to absolutely celebrate a fantastic marketing story because storytelling is is a key facet to in at least for me a key facet to enjoyment of most anything um there's a lot of research that says stories are far stickier than data is. And everyone has an impression based off of a story of any just about anything that they consume. If there is a story related to it, it creates an impression. For some of the more significant whiskey snobs, um, the fact that there are marketing stories that don't necessarily align with truth, they have a negative impression of that particular brand because of that story. And so they may... Um, decrease the value or their interpretation of what that is just because the story exists. And so it has an impact on everyone. And that's, you know, at the end of the day, we talked about it during the the blind tasting with um, Cole and Robbie. The reason blind tastings are so scary is simply because it can prove that you like something you say you don't like or that you don't like something that you say you do like. Um, you know, if you get rid of the story entirely, then it changes it. But the 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 other, the flip side of that is likely as soon as you know what it is, the next time you taste it, you'll be back to that because stories are sticky. They create impressions and they're very, very hard to overcome. And that's what's sort of cool about it for me. Um, and, and yes, lore is, is, is important. I mean, it's, it's why people, to me, it's why people are interested in Scotch or Armagnac or wines or or any of the darker spirits. Um, there's not a lot of lore behind clear spirits, and when I say clear spirits, I guess maybe we don't talk about you know agave based spirits. I'm talking more along the lines of vodka, gin, things like that. Um, and maybe even not gin, like some gins, like bathtub gins or, um, gins that are, that are made from herbals that are grown on small farms. Like there's always a story that can be told and then it's going to increase people's potential enjoyment. Um, and then there's, um, <laughs> then there's changes that are perceived really poorly and, and you wonder, are they marketing gimmicks as well? Uh, you know, so the, the stag junior is a clear to me, a clear marketing gimmick that is going to lead to something else. Then there's the, then there's Maker's Mark. Right. And so if we run back a few years, we get this announcement. I don't know. This, I think it's in 2013. Maybe um, we get this announcement from Maker's Mark where they're going to decrease their proof because they have a shortage of whiskey on hand. Um, they're going to cut it from was it 90 down to 84 Eighty six, something along that lines, and you know it was it was a discussion that they went through for a very very long time, in in their 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 business meetings, and they're not wrong. I mean they they were experiencing a significant uptick in whiskey consumption. Here you know, they're going to take it down to eighty four or eighty four proof. They're experiencing a significant uptick in whiskey consumption, and they were also. Uh, which we would find you know several years later, doing a significant amount of innovative study that is going to take from their traditional whiskey stores. And so they put out this press release that they're going to decrease from 90 to 84, and the whiskey world throws a giant fit. Everybody's like, oh, this is the worst thing you could ever do. Why would you do this? It's already low enough proof. Um, and you know, they had proven, at least with their uh, some of their foreign bottlings, those that are, I think, in Europe and Japan, They were putting out a 95 proof, slightly older whiskey that is touted by many as one of the best maker's marks that there are out there, Um, and so they they put the story out, and then within three days, they reversed their decision, Um, and and my question is, is were there any bottles ever made, and if there are, can I have one, please, because I would love to have that weird piece of whiskey trivia to sit on my shelf and taste side by side um, with the rest of them, but... Was that decision something they were never actually going to do? They were just trying to drum up interest in their normal shelf staple. Were they just saying, hey, we're going to do this? And whenever, you know, you create this massive rush of people out there running out there to grab up. um To grab up whatever is. Let me do, do, do. remove. Sorry. Had to get rid of that. got a spam message in here. Hey, I'm finally picking up some popularity. If I'm getting some uh, bots in the channel, that that means somebody's paying attention. That's fantastic, right? Um, You know, I joked at the last episode, being uh, being a small channel with a small following, um, you can't be accused of purchasing your followers because the minimum purchase is still beyond the amount of people that follow me right now. But anyways, so Maker's Mark... And I would say, um, at least from the major brands, Maker's Mark, um, right? People people ran out. They scooped up the regular Maker's Mark stuff. And I would say in the last ten years, they've probably been the kings of innovation, at least in my mindset, in the major whiskey producers, in a major whiskey producer's line. You know, some of the other distillers out there, distilleries out there, are doing innovative things, but they're doing it with secondary lines. I mean, you think about. Think about Heaven Hill, you think about Woodford, you think about, um, you think about Jim Beam, you think about Buffalo Trace. They all have this huge number of lines that they can do their experimentation with. And Maker's Mark has always just had Maker's Mark, and it took them a long time to get to Maker's Forty Six. And now we see the the wood finishing series. Now we're seeing these DNA uh, series where they're doing some experiments with barrel entry proof or whatever. Um, but these experiments. To be able to be, so like the DNA example is a good one for me, to be able to have that bottle today, they started that experiment eight years ago into the barrel, which means the idea was maybe probably two years before that. So we're talking like 10 years ago. Somebody said, hey, we should try to do this thing. And so if you chart the path of when the bottles became available and you go back about 10 years, that's when they started having those innovative ideas and they did it within a brand that had been virtually unchanged for fifty years. That was the entire concept of it. Um, yeah, they absolutely uh, catered to their audience, and um, there's no such thing as bad publicity. I think is the the phrase you're looking for. Uh, the, the, the 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 statement here is um, bad publicity is good publicity, but there's no such thing as bad publicity for them. But yeah, so a bunch of people run out there buy it. They they then retract their statement so a whole bunch of people are left with Maker's Mark and there's nothing wrong with that because you can still absolutely drink that. I'm probably going to sneeze, so I may have to mute it here a second. It keeps going away. All right, we'll move on. We'll just take a drink of this. This is some 1792 foolproof. Maybe that'll burn down the see the sneeze that's trying to come out of there um so all of the whiskey um the, the all of the whiskey marketing aside the way they've changed their brand and you know I got called out by somebody for being uh, maybe a uh, Maker's Mark fanboy, and you can't see it because they're dark, but there's a whole bunch of Maker's bottles here. But all of the bottles that I have on my shelf are ones that were uh, a result of their marketing innovation that they're trying to do, what's being called the License Plate Series, the Community Batches, some Single Barrels, some Wood Finishing Series, um, some of the, the FAEs that are around mouthfeel and the DNA and the, you know, the, the host of things that they're doing. With a single line, they've been able to innovate with forty or fifty different offerings, which is which is pretty impressive to me, um, at least. Uh, they, um, you know, I heard Fred Minnick was was, uh, I think maybe it's a podcast. I can't remember. I've listened to enough things, and then I start talking about it, and I just sort of forget. And so I I know this came from Fred Minnick. Don't know when it was. But he was talking about he had the opportunity um, to have a taste of, of some 15-year maker's mark. And he uh, looked at the Master stiller at the time and said, hey, if you guys released this, y'all would destroy the entire uh, marketplace. And you got to imagine that at some point in time, that's probably going to happen. But they're slow to change. But when they do, they seem to make the right choices. With the exception of saying, hey, we're going to lower our proof. You know, we're gonna we're gonna decrease it down to to 84 proof whiskey or whatever, um, and then the the last one that I have to talk about. So we're at 31 minutes. Uh, thank you guys for sticking this out, Dickel Bourbon. And this one is is not is technically not a change, right? Like they they didn't change anything besides some labeling. So we have, we saw the entry into the marketplace, the the bottle that answers the question, is Jack Daniels bourbon? You know, you've, you've had this, you have this question that, that people like to argue, is Jack Daniels bourbon? And legally it's not, technically it could be defined as that, and Dickel Bourbon proved it because they do the exact same processes, with a significantly different flavor profile, they do the exact same processes that Jack Daniels does. And they have released this year an eight-year-old bourbon. Yep, I did. I said it. They have released an eight-year-old bourbon, which is the exact same thing as what comes out of their Tennessee whiskey bottles. Um, And the difference here is, explicitly the difference is, flavor profile they they have their um they they have their master distiller just tasting the barrels and saying, "Oh, this doesn't fit the traditional Dickel profile that we're after, the Tennessee whiskey, Disc- Tennessee whiskey Dickel profile." And so we're going to call this a bourbon. That's explicitly the difference between Tennessee whiskey and 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 bourbon to this company is um flavor profile. And that's fantastic, you know. And and I'm not one of those people that that doesn't like dickel I enjoy it for what it is it has its own flavor unique flavor profile and that's 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 fine by me and you see it in a lot of barrel blends and you see it in a lot of sourced bourbons they've probably created so many bourbon, <laughs> so many bourbon companies out there that, uh, you have no idea what you're doing specifically. If they distill it and then, uh, someone ages it somewhere else, you know, they can, they can do a little bit of, um, dickle, dickle, dickle. Is that what I'm saying? Uh, three times fast. I said that three, right? Um, maybe if I finish these glasses here that I have, I've got this and an Elijah Craig, and if I finish those, it might not be possible for me to do that again. Um, and thanks for being here tonight, guys. I appreciate it. There's two of you here. Super appreciative. My, uh, I've got YouTube open on one side and my streaming software open on the other side. And the streaming software, doing just fine. YouTube acts like it's not working at all, and it's it's super sketch. Um, so I appreciate you guys for, for being here and um, hanging out while I talk about nothing. And I'm getting like 400 messages on the side about other stuff and whatever. Now I you know, I don't get a message all day long, and then when I start this up, forty-seven things try to happen at one time. Let me go do this real quick. All right, so nickel, and I like I said, I appreciate this. This 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 particular bottle, I have one. I went out and and searched for it, um, made sure I was able to pick one up, put it on the shelf in case of it. In case it's a short-term offering that uh, disappears from the whiskey realm. Uh, at any point in time in the future, uh, you know I, I I think it's interesting. I, I like what they're doing. I like the idea that people are expanding their base offerings and making changes, um, and this all stems like this whole. And this is how it works for me. Is I end up um, cool. Thanks, Cliff. Yeah, it. I may have to pull this down and actually upload the recording that's happening on the streaming software, so it's just a complete clean cut. Um, but I appreciate you guys for sticking it out with its going in and out. Um, but anyways, um, I I appreciate what they're doing. I I like the fact that they're gonna take these risks, and you know this is this is how I end up with an idea. Is I have a conversation with a person. I'm like, you know what? That's what I'm gonna talk about next week. And um, you know, I, I've I've learned a few things in the past couple of months that I could do to increase my viewership by making shorter videos and talking about lists and giving tasting notes and doing all these things. But that's not really the identity of what I'm doing here. And I'll continue down this path until it gets boring, and I'll, then I'll do something different. But um, for those of you guys that showed up, I super appreciate it. Um, may see some changes. Next week, we'll hit the one-year mark of the podcast. It's not the one-year mark of the YouTube uh, portion of it, but uh, a year ago, next Wednesday, will, will be the anniversary of when I released my first podcast episode. Um, I don't know what I'm going to talk about, but um, probably not going to have a topic specifically to go over. Uh, may launch out the, the news series that I was talking about earlier on in the episode. Um, but I appreciate you guys for being here. So uh, thanks for joining me tonight or today, whenever you happen to rewatch all of this. Oh, Hey, thank Hey, Jake, you are literally showing up late to the party. I'm about to close out for the night, but I appreciate you being here anyways. I um, hope you found this episode entertaining. If you did, please leave me a review on whatever platform that you are consuming this on. Leave a comment if possible. Hit me up on social media at Twitter or Instagram using embellish pod. Uh, I'm also on TikTok Now don't, not sure how that platform works, but um, Uh, give it a shot. Um, You can give me a follow and you can find out what's going on here. Uh, I can also be found on my website at embellishpod.com. All of my links, accounts, contact details, whatever. Uh, I'll be back again next week with another new offering for you. So until then, cheers and thanks for hanging out.